It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, and NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Well, um, in this interesting and challenging world of ours right now, nobody really knows what will affect um, or change or keep the same any situation. And certainly, uh, when our friends at Nefesh Benefesh, I'm sure when this all started, uh, they wondered what it would do in terms of Aliyah, what it would do in terms of people's interest to move at all. Um, not, you know, not just move to Israel, but just you know, make plans for the future. Well, this week, 18 new Olim ar- arrived in Israel on a Nefesh Benefesh group flight, which we're going to discuss in a minute. And even more significantly, I shouldn't say that because I don't want to minimize the incredible um, emission of the Olim, so not more significantly, but but maybe just as significantly. Uh, according to this Jerusalem Post article, there's a 50% rise in Aliyah applications from the United States, and the Jewish agency expects more. And if you recall, last week we discussed on the air an article in which the head of the Jewish agency was talking about 100,000 Jews moving from the diaspora, not just North America, but from the diaspora to Israel. To explore all of this, of course, is the co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh and one of our favorite guests live from Israel. That's Rabbi Yoshua, Josh Fass. Rabbi Fass, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. Good morning. Good morning to all your listeners. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Doing well, and thank God off the air. You told me that everybody there is good. We're good over here, and we pray for the uh, safety and health of everybody, uh, both in our audience and everyone, of course, around the world during these challenging times. Um, I, I guess the the most uh, appropriate way to start a conversation with anybody who's now in Israel, can you update us? Can you give us just an overview of how things are going regarding reopening in the Holy Land? Things are indeed reopening. Um, third graders, first to third graders, uh, went back to school on Sunday a couple of days ago. Um, work has starting to open up. Stores are starting to open by the end of the week. I think most industries will be open. Obviously, there's, uh, there's social distancing regulations and masks and gloves in certain areas and a cap of how many people can be in a store or how many people can be in a meeting together or in an office space together. But people are resuming life. By the end of this month, um, all school is expected to reopen. Wow. And, um, and uh, we see it. We feel it. I just hope that it's not premature. We all hope that. And we hope that people, even though when they go back to life, um, they take the precautions and not feel that uh, that since we're allowing to loosen regulations, it means that there's still not a danger. Have the authorities but, said anything specific about Lagba Omer? Lagba Omer, I think, is 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 frozen at this point. When you talk, I think there's uh, Mayron will not have any any events, mm. um, and I think they've already communicated to that. I think they're keeping the 50-person cap at any simcha or celebration for the next several weeks, and then they'll open it up mid or end of June. Oh, wow. Starting to allow, to, to loosen that regulation. I but even... a wedding right now, um, after Lagba Omer, could have 50 people. I didn't even realize that you were up to 50. That is the change. Right. So right. they've already, they've leaked from 10 people to 50 people. Right. Um, and uh, we'll reopen. I didn't realize that you were up to 50 already. Uh, Rabbi Fast, before we talk about the story of the day, as far as I'm concerned, which is Aliyah, and I never 
in a million years two months ago thought that two months later the story of the day would be Aliyah. What about travel in general? And I know that it's hard to predict, and obviously nobody knows anything you know, in this whole situation, which I get. But you're pretty connected, obviously, to, to those who go back and forth and those who run the operation to go back and forth from Israel to the diaspora via airlines and via airplane. Do you, do you hear anything about you know regular travel resuming or what the plan might be if now, as you just described, there's somewhat of a reopening and some are really pining for a reopening of these airways? Some airlines are aggressively trying to push to reopen as soon as possible. Um, I know some airlines from the States. I know just dealing with a family that needed to fly in a parent from England that uh, flights started to open up or starting to open up soon from England as well. Um, El Al is is taking a very reserved position. They're only going to start flights in June 1st. However, for urgent issues, we, you can find seats on any of their, I'm putting it in quotes, their cargo flights. So, um, like last night, we had 20 Olim on what was called a cargo flight. Oh. Very limited amount of passengers, but really taking in some supplies to Israel. They're doing that occasionally until June, and then hopefully June 1st, they'll start opening up a um, some kind of modified, but obviously a uh, back on track. Uh, yeah, I hope you have the time for this. You, you got to describe this whole thing. So <laughs> this thing happens, it, it hits in March. I, I assume there were some people already, because as we know, Nefesh Benefesh is not just about major charter flights. It's about constant group flights and, frankly, constant individual flights if families or individuals want to make Aliyah at, at, at a point convenient to them uh, during the year. So now March hits um, your con- how did, what happens? Your, what happens with that list that's supposed to go to Israel in April, that's supposed to move to Israel in May? What was the procedure? Now, we've been helping and facilitating uh, the Aliyah individuals really up to Erev Pesach, uh, even up to a couple of days before Pesach, trying to work with the consulates, work with the Jewish agency, work with the Ministry of Immigration Absorption, work with all of our partners. Um, sometimes uh, the staff in, with our partners have been heroic, coming in the middle of the night or coming sometimes in full gear. And uh, by Pesach time, when flights really came to a halt, and even and everyone was basically in self-quarantine and offices were closed, Aliyah came to a, a very slow, slow pace, and uh, something that I never thought would ever happen, but the inability of getting on a plane from the States uh, happened. Uh, we, we talked about this. I once had a conversation with an individual, and I said, you know what? People really want to come to Israel when they're not able to. You know, the heart wants what it can't have. Yep. And, uh, and I think that sobering realization that it's not a given. We become a bit numb historically, spiritually a bit, that we have Eretz Yisrael, we have Medina Yisrael, and the fact that it was on ice for a bit um, made people... It was jarring for some individuals, recalibrated a bit of some people's compasses of uh, what they're doing with their lives and taking Israel for for, given, for granted. Um, and then we started slowly opening up after, after Pesach, obviously in concert with all of our partners. And it's challenging. Uh, it's uh, because there's the Ministry of Health that really wants things to really slow down, to slow down issuing of visas, of making sure that there is a a safe way to integrate these individuals and absorb them when they get off the plane. And sometimes these immigrants are coming from hot zones. 
So you have to make sure that, A, corona is not going on the planes, that people are coming off and not spreading it, especially when there is clamping down here in, in Israel of the situation. So, um, so they're going into bidud hotels. They're going to quarantine hotels. Some of them went to Tel Aviv last night. Some of them went to Yushalayim, to Yushalayim Hotel. And uh, over the next few days, when Israel gets even more control of, of the situation and they loosen even more regulations, they're going to, I think, forego on this 14-day quarantine hotel requirement right. and allow people to go to 14 days in their own self-quarantine. Right. And that will help individuals out as well. But the remarkable thing for me, 18 Olim is, okay, it's 18 Olim. It's, uh, not, it's not a charter flight. It's not 2,000 Olim in eight weeks. But for me, it's just, it's just the spirit of a Jew wanting to come home regardless of any circumstances, and the ability of people to work together to make that dream come home, come true, and to see these Olim who've been bounced around from flight to flight. Um, they were supposed to come in a week from now, and then they were advanced, and then I'll, I'll change it last minute, but they got on the plane, and, and the, the officers within the government came and set up these, you, know, the, you know, the shields and worked with them to make sure that they got processed. And it's just, it's remarkable just to see the, the human spirit, uh, sense of optimism and faith in tomorrow, and uh, just the, the inspiration that it generates, that people just want that to happen yeah. and are inspired by it. And I want to tell the so audience. That's what I take from, from the pictures that I've been seeing from last night and this morning that have been so beautiful of these, this group of 18. All right, and the reason... And, I'm sorry. No, I, was just, I just wanted to make it clear to our listeners, the reason you keep switching between 20 and 18 is because we're at two flights, 20 last week and 18 Correct. this week. People need to realize that in two weeks, 38 new Olim came to Israel. Yeah. You were saying, I'm yeah. sorry. No, and I think as we were talking about the 50% increase, um, this is just the beginning of what we really um, empirically see as a wave, a wave of interest. The numbers of applications that are being downloaded, the, up, the number of applications that are being submitted in the last month and even just the last week, the first week of May, um, have been staggering. Well, I, I um, you know, I've been doing this for 18 years. I haven't seen this type of interest. My phone is ringing off the hook. Emails are coming in. Individuals who are quarantined or not yet back to normal life in, in the States and they're re-evaluating their Aliyah plans. And obviously it has to be nuanced and it has to be very sensitive. I understand the challenges that are, that, that are happening. Um, and we have to be very, very careful and nuanced in the way that we communicate. But the fact that there is a, a wild interest of entertaining Aliyah, and entertaining Aliyah for 2020 is, is really remarkable. And yeah. the numbers are just uh, fascinating to see. I, I don't know how many people thought that, you know, just the opposite would happen, that people now, because of all the difficulties and the and the spirit of isolation, would really stall all their plans and would never consider downloading a Nefesh Benefesh application. But I saw the hard numbers, and in fact, this report in Jerusalem Post is, is completely accurate, both in downloads and in real applications. You're at a 50% increase in comparison— uh, 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 I just ran some numbers for you before this, before the show just now. In all of May, 400 households applied for Aliyah, right. submitted applications for Aliyah for the current year. In the first four days of May, 155 households. 
Unbelievable. So the trend is not just uh, episodic or just sustained to one month. It's continuing, and we will see that trajectory, hopefully by the end of May, continuing. And I'm trying to understand why and uh, really honing in on what are the motivations and what's the impetus for this, this resurgence of interest, talking to a lot of potential OLIM, um, having communications with them. And it's fascinating to see what's, what's jarring their, their interests. Well, it's funny. And, uh, it's funny because years ago you and I discussed a couple of times where, where many suspected Aliyah would go down or the attitude toward Aliyah would lessen. Uh, one was after the first wave of, of Nefesh Benefesh North American Aliyah. Uh, one was after the, uh, the the terror bombings and the you know and the suspicion that most people would shy away from from moving to Israel at that time. We know exactly the opposite happened. W- wouldn't this situation be similar in terms of the feeling and reasons for it, or, or is it much different? Now, first of all, we know you and I know that this pattern. Every single time that we think right. that right. Aliyah should go down <laughs> abnormally is is the direct opposite right, exactly. equation. Um, but I've been talking to a lot of families, and I actually even created a Rashi vote It's Kamat, Kila Mishpachat It's family, it's community, and employment. Um, we've seen over the years individuals who were always Zionists, always entertained the concept of Aliyah, and there were justifiable, understandable reasons for not moving to Israel. And we've been seeing, I've been seeing over and over again, people expressing that I very much felt so connected to my community, to my congregation, I couldn't even imagine myself existing as a family, as a person outside of that community. Now, they've been in quarantine for eight weeks and having a lot of time by themselves with their family. Um, and and introspecting and evaluating um, self versus community trajectory of of destiny versus you know destination, and it's it's that's definitely one sentiment. Another sentiment is family, and I think being even 20 minutes away from a family member and not being able to visit them for eight weeks and having that relationship and developing that relationship through Zoom. Um, allows people to realize, you know, we can do that also a little further. That might not be the reason for for not going. What a good and point. Lastly, ironic, and lastly, ironically, professionally, the people who have been able to work remotely right. outside of the medical field right. are the ones who are sustaining their profession right. and their income. <laughs> and uh, people have been all flexible, and people are seeing the reality of technology and how far we can press that envelope and push that envelope. And and um, and that becomes more realistic when you think of working for eight weeks remotely. Why can't I do that remotely in Israel? Excellent. With that in mind, we know that Nefesh Benefesh and your employment department. I, I, I excuse the way I'm putting this, but I think people know you know that I'm doing it for emphasis. But we'll we'll, we'll essentially not allow someone to move to Israel unless you feel their employment prospects are reasonable. Uh, today, there are certain industries that we are in in the United States, that people are in the United States, where you cannot possibly guarantee uh, what the future brings. I would have to assume that those people that are in those industries here would face the same thing in Israel. Does that discourage you, or does that encourage you, rather, to discourage them from coming because of the employment situation right now? It's a fascinating question, and, and I'm not sure... The industries are 
analogous. Uh, I think certain industries in Israel are rebounding quicker than we thought. I mean, you're, there are a million people still unemployed in Israel, and hopefully when industries open and work, the workforce will return to the office now and next week and forth, and we'll see over the next few weeks just the recalibration and recuperation of our economy. But we last week, uh, I was shocked. We had on our job board, we had 40 to 50 positions of people looking to hire people. Wow. Now, obviously, certain industries are going to be hit for a while. The, right. the tourism industry is taking a hit, right. and who knows when it'll get back on its feet. Uh, next year, I mean, how many people are going to be flying here before the summer, right. uh, after the Hagim? I mean, and and that, that affects a lot of different aspects of that industry. But Rabbi but, Fast, I'm sorry. Yeah. But technology, technology right. is still happening. Right. Um, and I just got a call today. We're looking for engineers. Bring, go through the list of people who are applying now in May and June. Tell me who wants to come. High-tech companies, medical world, where we've been in talks for the last few weeks with the Ministry of Health. Show us your doctors. We need more doctors. We want to make sure that we are equipped for, God forbid, the next wave, but equipped that we have a robust um, medical world. And uh, so it's fascinating that in certain ways I would think be very hesitant. Right. But in certain industries, there is a, a quick, first of all, they've seem, somehow been immune to this, which is shocking. But, uh, or they're rebounding faster than I thought they would. I, I'm not trying to be funny, but has Nefesh Benefesh been contacted by companies now working on the vaccine, major pharmaceutical companies and research companies in Israel looking for specific types of people with specific backgrounds? Not yet, but I know that two weeks ago when we were in intense conversations with uh, representatives of the Ministry of Health, we were scouring all of our of the 60,000 Olim that have come through us, whether or not we had any experts in infectious diseases right. and uh, any individuals that might have been retired, right. that are retired now, that are not in the system Correct. Of, of, uh, of the Ministry of Health here, but they might have that expertise and willing to volunteer or willing to come back out of retirement to help in that case. And not to belabor the point, because obviously all I ever want to do, and I think most people know this, is encourage people to move to Israel. But in all seriousness, if someone had, if someone says to you, a restaurateur in the United States has said to you that they set aside, I don't know, you know, a quarter of a million dollars in savings to eventually move to Israel and you know get their own place, etc. In the old days, I would assume... You would encourage them and help them, etc. Now you you would be wary of advising them to make that move at this point, correct? I, I, I will put it differently. Uh, I, I wouldn't be wary of advising. I would I would roll up my sleeve to see how we can make it happen and whether or not it's realistic. Right. Um, and maybe someone's perception of what they want to do and want want to accomplish might have to be adapted a bit, A, because of Israel's climate in general, and B, because of the aftermath of corona. Um, uh, but if a person has their own, the will and desire, and has the means to make it, it might just be adjusted a bit. But um, let the industry recuperate a bit. Right, understand. Uh, and, and we're seeing it. Uh, if you would have asked me two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whether or not we would have uh, our kids would be going to, to back to school, I wouldn't believe you. I would say, what are you talking about? The schools, I see schools are canceled in New York until September. Right. I don't even think that my kids would be going back before Lag Um So, uh, one of the people that yeah. one of the people we work with, because uh, you know we we are an international entity. Uh, <laughs> Avrami tells us that uh, about a third 
of his um, of his uh, children's uh, um, uh, colleagues are now back in school, and about two thirds of the families still are hesitant to send those younger kids back at the moment. But I guess that's to be understood. Oh, we are are third grader. My youngest did not go back to school on Sunday a few right. days ago. Right. I'm just giving a few more days for them to iron out the, <laughs> right. iron out the bugs a bit before um, before we send a kid back. And, and then my other other students, other kids are starting to are wanting to go back as well. So that resumption of life will be in full gear by the end of by the end of May. Right. Rabbi Fass is with us speaking about Nefesh Ben Nefesh. By the way. Your uh, application download is available, nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il. Um, you and I uh, enjoy speaking philosophically about Aliyah. Um, I'll never forget that uh, uh, someone once uh, told me that uh, their, their, um, their rabbi had told him never to leave Israel, that he's, he's traveled to Chutzlar, it's enough, he should never, and he said, what are you talking about? You know, well, I'll, I'll go to, you know, I'll do my, uh, my thing around the world, and if I have to come back to Israel, I'll take a plane, I'll go right back to Israel. And of course, then 9-11 happened, and he was here for that Rosh Hashanah in the United States, and that was the lesson he learned from the whole experience. Uh, I think it's a lesson for all of us. We have gotten used to, after 72 years, of saying, as long as I have an American passport in my hand, as long as, you know, that's the most valuable thing a Jew can own. That passport today is worthless, completely worthless. Uh, maybe you'd argue not completely because obviously there is still, you know, emergency and aliyah travel as you describe. But this whole attitude, I can go to Israel whenever I want, we now see, and thank God, thank God as far as we know, there's no place in the world right now that's extreme danger for Jews. But if there was, there is no way to get those Jews to Israel right now. And I was wondering if that thought crossed your mind. Oh, 100%. It was, I, don't, I don't want to even enter into the conversation whether that U.S. passport, the value of a U.S. passport. <laughs> but it, it was, for me, it was, it, 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 we, we talked about this within our staff and within my family. It was very sobering, extremely sobering, when the gates to Israel were closed um, temporarily. Right. And still, there's a clampdown of individuals who are, who are non-Israeli citizens who are not making Aliyah. Right. You can't just get on a plane without really pulling strings and have an exception. You can't just come to the airport right now and get on a plane, Al Al or United Airlines, which is very, very sobering. Um, we, always, we always assumed that there was a given. We always had that option B. And it's quite frightening to know that option B sometimes doesn't exist or might be locked. Yeah. And... Um, it's really the first time, it's the first time that our generation, because obviously our parents' and grandparents' generation yeah. lived in a time without a state, it's the first time in our generation that we have a situation where Israel's inaccessible to us. Correct. Even, when, even during the war, when, when missiles were being shot to Tel Aviv, we still got a charter flight off the ground. Right. You remember that? Of course. And, and, even though planes were not allowed, we, and, we flew in. And, student, we and students were subsidized just to go and, and show solidarity at that time. So there, yeah. there were arrangements able to be made even for tourists, not only Olim, but even for tourists. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by the way, these 38, uh, the 20 last week, the 18 this yeah. week, do you think, part, again, philosophically, do you think part of it was that that fear, like, you know what, I have my chance now, you know, to dash through? Most, most of them, it's a good question, most of them were planning to come this. We, have a, we had a lot of people plan to come now. 
Um, some of them realized that they couldn't. Technically, logistically, health-wise, they couldn't. Um, and they pushed it off. And hopefully they'll come before the summer or during the summer. Uh, but some, um, technically, they had no place to go. They sold their homes. They moved out of their place and sent their lifts. Right, good point. They, and they're in this limbo state. Right. So, and, and that's what tugged on the heartstrings of the government officials and Halal. We need to get these people here. I know you're not flying, but they, what, they're going to stay in a hotel motel for the next five weeks until right. you open up. Right. Their visas are approved. Their lives are waiting for them. They're willing to go into into quarantine for two weeks, but we have to move them. If only the government here had the same attitude to the uh, to the personnel that's stuck on cruise ships who are still still out at yeah. sea. Uh, but yeah, that's and that's and that's the and that's the way. That's the Jewish way. That's the Israeli way. If there are abandoned or stranded Jews, and the way you just described it, uh, those people could you know legitimately be considered in that category. They're going to be there to help them and help them get to Israel as soon as possible. You know, you have done, and, and, and I know this is a crazy question, but you have done very quick aliyahs for certain people. There are stories we've told on the air where someone called yes. your office, and I think, is it, is it 72 hours later on a plane? Was it, was that? Am I exaggerating, or is that about right? You're not, but we shouldn't publicize that. <laughs> but the reason I say it is because if someone was desperate enough to get there and had the same philosophical bed to, that we're describing that, that this is it. I have no choice. I have to take advantage of the opportunity. The door is still slightly, slightly open over there. <laughs> should, should... Yeah, no, it, it, there's always the option. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that uh, the, the normal conventional process of Aliyah applications, visas in the States, would be the way to go, right. probably hopping on a plane, paying your way to get to Israel, and we process you um, fast with the Ministry of Interior is probably the easier way of doing it. Right. Um, if there was really a feeling that a door was closing, God forbid, um, there's always there will always be hopefully a solution <laughs> if right. you're if you have the ingenuity and creativity and uh, and so on on the God Almighty, you'll be able to. Uh, to find a way. We have this is this is a Jew coming trying to come home. Right. So no is not the answer. And that's uh that is an approach that we and our partners, the Jewish Agency, methodically time and this is immigration. We we had emergency meetings over the last two weeks and we all we all agreed we are solution peddlers. We will find a solution. A person wants a Jew wants to come home, they want to live in this homeland, we will find a solution. And everyone has to be on the same page. And that's what we have to communicate to every Ola. Um, it's it's trying times. It's difficult times. It's um, it's emotionally draining times. And uh, to add on that level of all the technicalities, might be overwhelming for the OLS. So we say, with all of our partners, we're committed to make it happen. We're committed to make it happen. We'll find solutions. Um, do you think there'll be a charter flight this summer, or or there's no way to know at this point? Yeah, I, I, are you bugging my house? <laughs> Oh really? That was <laughs> this, this has been this has been a conversation of last night this morning. I, I don't even with, I don't even uh, see with, how it with Tony Gelbart right. with with my VP Zev with my family. That's <laughs> been a whole conversation, and with LL, I mean, we don't know. Oh, we, so LL so many variables. Just let's, the, so, just, let's dissect it for a second. But just the fact that LL is speaking. What happens in JFK? Can we have that many? Let's say we open up the gates and LL flies again, and we're able to and and things are moving. And I expect 2,000 people moving to Israel within a seven-week period in the summer, and our staff is preparing for that. But let's say, forget about JFK, whether or not there's a ceremony or not, because whether or not you can gather 
200, 300 people in one place, whether or not that's legal or not. The plane itself will, by August or July, will we be able to pack a plane or will every middle seat have to be empty? And then that drops uh, the capacity of a flight. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just think about it. When you have 200 people out of 2,000 people making Ali on seven weeks, that's that's ten percent of our of our population on one plane. Right. Still, it's a drop in the bucket, but it's at least a sizable group. If that drops down to a hundred, one hundred fifty, one hundred twenty, um, it, it becomes logistically burdensome. But I don't know. And then what happens here? Whether or not forget about a welcome ceremony, will that be regulated? Will that be allowed? Could the staffing at the airport, government staffing, which is taking precautions, will the precautions still be? Will it be? Existing then will be loosened and will be flexible, or is that even going to be possible? So there's a lot, a lot of question marks. We are analyzing it. We have to make a decision soon. But uh, right now, I don't want to get caught with the distractions of hoopla. I really want to be focused on making the dreams of each of these Olim happen. Right. Well, I, and, I, uh, I actually think your answer is good news because I thought that you'd be already be on the road to you know, that there's no chance, just the fact that it's still being discussed, there's a, obviously a, still an opportunity. And I, I would assume that uh, Avi Levine is keeping the processing machines well-oiled in case there is a flight. Right? Avi Levine is keeping, <laughs> the, and, and I, I talked to Tony Gelbert, you know Tony, you know yeah. how much we love him, and Tony was like, we started NFS 18 years ago for good news for Israel. How can we not bring a charter? That Especially I'm telling now. you, you have Especially no idea. Now. You have no idea what it would do for the Jewish world everywhere, oh, not just, oh it, my it, gosh. It, it, and that's what Tony said. How could we not? Forget about logistics. We'll make it happen. But how can we not? This is why we went into business. 100% true. What do you think of the 100,000 number that the Jewish agency uh, head was uh, tossing around in terms of the full diaspora and the potential to well, move to uh, The numbers make sense. It does uh, make sense. If you think about there is right now a cross-global 30 to 50% increase in jump. And if it sustains, if it's a sustainable increase over the next few months, then if you're talking about a usual annual 30,000 OLIM making Aliyah, and there's a 30 to 50% real, factual, realistic increase, then you're hitting 100,000. The question is, and and that's the the greatest question, which I I stated a few days ago in these emergency meetings, we have to maintain the momentum for 2020. I truly believe there'll be a spike in 2021. Just seeing the interest in all countries, we're all sharing data amongst all the different parties, the Aliyah parties, and the data is staggering. There's tremendous interest. I'm just, I'm just being realistic. I don't know the, technically how people can get their lives in order and move so fast, especially in certain countries that are really in a clampdown and right. still still really in a hot spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that we have to invest now and sustain that momentum and make sure that every person who wants to come this year has that path and has that solution. But we'll really see that spike in 2021 yeah. if it's sustained. Look, someone, and I think they're right. Yeah, I so- think, I think uh, it's, it's sensible numbers. It's not like uh, we're going from 5,000 to 100,000. You're going from 30, 33,000 to 100,000. You're seeing the numbers of interest. 
Someone said to me the other day that 5781 is going to be a real year of transition, you know, and, and we should prepare our children for that no matter what school they're in, et cetera. It's probably going to be a mixed bag of what we're, we've gotten used to and what we, you know, hope would be normal because obviously, uh, you know, no vaccine yet, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody knows the reasons. But as you're just saying, toward the end of that Jewish year, right, summer of 2021, we could see uh, an incredible resurgence and an unbelievable desire for people to move to Israel. And it's funny you point out about the logistic thing. I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to speak a month or two from now and we're going to find out, we're going to find out why it's easier logistically to do this now because for some, for some reason, God is always there to help those that want to move to Israel. A hundred percent. And you know what? It's, uh, we were, we were just having a meeting two days ago with government officials and we said, at this time, at this time, don't make it harder. Right. Let's let's think out of the box. And you know what? Maybe thinking out of the box now will create precedence for the next bunch of years when we're not, God forbid, facing a crisis. So it might pave the path. But uh, but I, I don't think it's just Aliyah. I think, and you can attest to it, I think this has recalibrated our value system yep. a bit. And you see people talking about how we're celebrating weddings and yep. occasions and, and uh, the concept of Shiduchim. I think staying home and realizing how fragile life is and how little we need to sustain ourselves and how much we long for human societal contact, it's, uh, it hopefully is recalibrating how we think and our value system. And I pray to God that it's sustained. Uh, I don't want just a spike of reevaluation of our lives. To happen summer 2020 and 2021. Hopefully, we can learn from this, the global community. And but let's, let's hone in on on our community. I hope that our community just uh, learns the lessons from this. You know, this is a. There are going to be many physical habits that are going to be incorporated into the lives of everybody who went through this, especially the younger people who you know really internalize this stuff. Um, and, and ha- you know, hand washing is one of them, obviously, and hesitating to hug someone, you know, before you're 100 percent sure you should, and things like that. Um, I think we need to have uh, some of those mental habits stay with us as well. And what you just described, the time with family, uh, uh, the um, uh, in- incredible prioritizing of our values, I think all those, you know, have to remain as well. And I think that this was such a shock and is such a shock still for everybody that, you know, people say, oh, when's we get back to normal? I don't know if that's true. I think it it may not be drastic changes for everybody, but I think in in little and sometimes major ways, it's going to be real changes for a lot of people out there. Um, Okay, from the NSN app, first of all, um, a listener, Tikva in Israel, says Israel is almost back to normal, happy and scary at the same time. And I think that sums up what Rabbi Fass just said. If I could put words in your mouth. Um, then listener Andrew's upset there was no intro music for Rabbi Fast. So now, <laughs> so now, now, <laughs> I, now I have proven my point, Rabbi Fast, much to your oh, chagrin, much to your chagrin that you need your intro music. And finally, tell Andrew that I'll take, I'll have some words with him afterwards. <laughs> tell Andrew you'll be more than happy to send him an MP3 of the song. And, <laughs> and listen, listener Chaya says, and obviously this is what you just said, but it may, may be said a drop differently. Being in quarantine gives families some real time to talk about Aliyah, and I think the quarantine has given us a lot of time to speak to our, our to our children and to our families. Again, depending on their ages, about values in general and lessons to be learned and coping coping with this whole 
situation. But yes, the plan, the plan, and what do we think, uh, or, or when do we think we're actually going to make the move and how and why, etc. I think that has become a much more part of the national collective conversation, to say the least. And Rabbi Fast, before you go, you got to review it for me one more time. You said three things. I know the third one was uh, was work, was work and how someone can technologically work from Israel. Uh, I think the second one was Zoom. Was, was that how you can how you can stay socially connected to your friend, friends and relatives? Community, family, and one's profession have all been recalibrated I'm focused in a different way um, during these several weeks. And was the and was the was the point of Kihila not to say it in a in a negative way, but we're with our families. We haven't seen other people nor been in our synagogues, etc., for weeks and weeks, and we see that we could adjust that situation. If the situation, you know, our communities are beautiful. The congregations, the kilot that we're connected to, are 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 remarkable. The Rabbanim that Arkila are lucky to have, they're, they're stunning individuals, and I'm in touch with many of them. Um, but sometimes we're so busy right. with communal work that, uh, as one of your listeners said, having that time to speak with your family and also to speak with yourself. Um, I can probably, uh, I'm not sure if it's appropriate to say, but some of the best filot have been over these last seven weeks. Yep of just praying to oneself, with oneself, to, to Hashem, uh, in one's backyard or in one's living room, and just understanding that the world is chaotic enough that you have that lone soul direction, soul connection with, with God. I think that's, uh, these are powerful moments that we've had. And, uh, and, and also, don't take it lightly, I, I know a lot of pain and suffering of a lot of families. Yep. And it's uh, measurable pain. Measurable pain, and uh, and that uh, that also puts things into perspective as well. By the way, very important point, and maybe this is how we should end. Um, you just mentioned the pain, and there are families going through very difficult situations, and they don't know what the future brings, especially economically. Uh, many of them would say to themselves, "Now there's no way I can consider moving because you know the the bank account doesn't have what it needs to have in it." You might say to them, no, explore the possibility because when, when, when you look at a future in Israel where expenses are lower and tuition is, is nothing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it may, be, it may actually be the right move and not the move to hesitate about during a time like this. I agree. I think everyone, if something is of value, it might not be the right timing, but it requires, it behooves us to explore it, to, dis- to discover it, to discuss it to see whether or not it's an option. That's fine. You can explore whether or not it's viable and say, you know what, it's not the right time. But you have to explore it. If it's of something of value, then it needs to be tended to. No question about it. Can't thank you enough. Mazal tov on the That's numbers. Mazal tov on the numbers. I mean, thank my you gosh. So my, you got to have a lachayim. You got to have a look. I thought you were going to say Mazal Tov on, on the baby grandson. And Mazal Tov on the baby grandson. One of, one of the most surreal uh, bris, brises that I've ever been to in my life. The, <laughs> the, my total, the total number of people at the bris, if you will, Rabbi Fess. It was my son, the Moel, myself, my kids, and my wife, and Bacheva. It was just us. It was 12 of us, 11 of us. 
Unbelievable. Well, the baby, it was 12 in the MOA. We were only supposed to have 10, but, but I guess yeah, but, the baby and the MOA don't count. Well, all of you except for the MOA had been quarantined together anyway. Yeah, so we were <laughs> so... fine, but uh, the MOA required all of us to be in masks the entire right. time. And uh, and how's the and... how's the baby doing? Thank God. Rabbi Fast, Rabbi Fast, one second. You're telling me that a Jewish baby who just had a bris without locks and bagels and without a massive crowd of two, three hundred people and without renting out a shul basement for five thousand dollars, you're telling me that that baby is well adjusted to this world? Well adjusted. <laughs> Going back to the value system. <laughs> exactly. It was, it was absolutely one of the most uplifting, inspirational um, ceremonies. We had uh, over 250 people on Zoom watching and uh it was it was beautiful all the grandparents were able to great grandparents were able to speak and give brachot which wow. in a normal bris they wouldn't have had a chance that's right would have rushed off to the bagels that's right and it was people were home and people had the attention and people were able to focus on something of some light some hope and they named him amichai which is beautiful explain which is amisrachai amichai I'm Give chizuk to to uh, to all of us, and and it, it, ironically, it's the sign that's over my desk right now. It was the only sign that I took out of Nefesh when we closed the offices several weeks ago. I looked at one of those, you know, those iconic Nefesh signs that people hold up when planes arrive, right. and I found an Am Yisrael Chai, and I put it up, hung it up over my desk here at home, just uh, to keep us to keep us focused. Unbelievable. Well, Mazal Tov on the grandson and Mazal Tov on these Thank amazing you. numbers on 38 Thank new you. Olim in the last two weeks on a 50% rise in Aliyah applications. And uh, one very important piece of information I just learned uh, based on what you said, this would be the week where I'd be able to get a parking space on the street in front of Nefesh Benefesh. This would be this would, this would be the week to go. Yeah. I'll leave a buzzy head. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you. You're such a dear friend, as always. I love every second talking to you. I appreciate on, on and offline. I appreciate that. It's very hard for me to end this conversation. And normally I would say I know how busy you are, but I'm hoping you're a drop less busy during these times. So I won't... Absolutely not, because everyone, <laughs> I'm living in my office. Having an office at home, people think that I'm just available 24-7. And it's just, uh... Trust me, I can sympathize. I know exactly what you're talking it's about. crazy. <laughs> you can say that again. Rabbi Fass, Rabbi Fass, without the theme song, please forgive me. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. He's co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh, of course, Rabbi Yoshua Fass or by Josh Fass. What incredible news. I'll tell you, all these times, and thank God, thank God, thank God, he allowed me to become a partner in all of this years ago. Thank God. Because now I could look back at this recent history, the last 25 years, the last 15 years, and talk about all these episodes, the terror attacks, the war, uh, 9-11, all the different times where everybody was convinced there's no way in the world that Aliyah is going to continue to be something that's in the hearts of Jews around the world, and just the opposite has happened. And now we're in this historic time, challenging yet historic. And who knew, who knew that even in this situation, a situation of isolation, a situation of economic difficulties, et cetera, et cetera, that we would see the type of uh, interest in Aliyah that there is now, not only in the U.S. and North America, as Rabbi Fass said, but around the entire world. Hi, it is Manhagula. It is uh, it is so the uh, the time of redemption. I hope that uh, 
everybody who's listening now understands. I don't think everybody in our community gets it. I hope our listeners get it. Uh, information about all of this, nbn.org.il. You could actually get an application. You could actually download it. You could start the process. You could discuss it more seriously with your family. You could do all the calculations. They got the calculation online about uh, everything that uh, that you're entitled to as a new OLE, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. nbn.org.il. They also have a phone number, which I'm assuming, knowing them, someone is still answering. 866-4-ALIYAH. 866, the number four, and then A-L-I-Y-A-H. It is a Wednesday morning broadcast, and you're listening to JM in the AM. <laughs> 